And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light, joined as usual by Ari Wasserman. Ari, we've got a lot to get to today. We're going to review some commitments from last week. There's a big NIL deal that we need to talk about. You went to a camp, I know, on Sunday. Well, a football Under Armour camp. It's not like you went to a camp. Um, I that, participated. Yeah, you, you did. How's your 40 time nowadays? Well, we'll get to uh, that. We'll get to your nine, 40 time. Nine seconds flat. Yeah. Good, good, good. Um, we got a mail, good, some good good questions in the mailbag. And then, as usual, I will attempt to stump you with the trivia question. All right. Well, let's get to the big top. First of all, Ari, how are you doing today? I'm doing good? well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about this. This stuff because um, in the comments of Stu's story, I don't know if you went and read the comments, but someone's like, where's Ari Wasserman? Yes. <laughs> Didn't you say I'm right here? Uh, yeah. I don't even <laughs> understand why. Why don't you go ahead and introduce the story yeah, for people yes. who didn't read it, and then I'll try to figure out what that was all about. Yeah. Stuart Mandel, our, I don't even know Stu's title, man. He's not the man. Our editor-in-chief, I believe, um, had a big story oh, Friday. <laughs> Yeah, Friday afternoon. Um, I wouldn't call it a news dump because that's usually when when or news organizations, teams release stuff that they want to get buried on Friday. Um, but Stu got this story. He's been working on it. Basically worked with a lawyer in California who was working on an NIL deal for a player from California that is just sort of like the biggest – we knew this was coming already, but it was kind of the biggest wow of the NIL deal. Reported – can go up over $8 million, I believe, over the course of this athlete's career if he stays at the school. Um, and again, all right, like we knew this was coming, but to see it like this, I think, was when most people just kind of turn their heads and say, this, this, this stuff's real now. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of money. And I think part of the reason why my name was Where's Ari Wasserman in the comments was my stance on NIL was always uh, – that a prospect wouldn't commit to a school for NIL because that would be a short-sighted financial decision based on the potential of being developed properly or put in a situation where you could be a first-round draft pick to make generational money. If schools are going to pay you eight million a year over the course of or eight million over the course of four years potentially, if you stay at the school, I'd go anywhere. I mean, because at a certain point now you're talking about money that could set you up for life. And that's the entire point of making it to the NFL, right? I, I know that a yeah. lot of people dream about playing in the league at the highest possible level and the lifestyle that comes with it. I'm not diminishing that at all. But the real reason why the NFL is the dream is for permanent financial stability. Um, and if somebody were to pay you $8 million over a course of four years and you're not an idiot with it, between the ages of 18 and 22, you wouldn't really have to work for the rest of your life. You know, and I know that you know inflation and, and times are changing, and 
you know, eight million bucks is not as much as it used to be, but eight million bucks is still enough to live off of forever. So, um, that to me, I think is very fascinating. Now, the the line you have to draw too is that when I initially viewed NIL, it was what corporations would be paying corporations, small businesses in these towns would be paying kids, um, whatever amount of money they seem to think was fair for an Instagram post or a appearance uh, you know, at a car appearance at a car dealership, exactly things like that. Eight million dollars would be such a foreign thing because eight million dollars is probably one eighth of what any successful restaurant is clearing in a year, and it's funny because. Uh, Britt, my fiance, is a person who's in commercial real estate, and her job is to find locations and place businesses um, in retail spots. And as a part of that job, she gets comps of the area of how much places clear in a given year. Um, and I get to see some of those numbers sometimes because she's sitting there, and I'm like, "Does, she, does like, she place any pizzerias that you can go and just, yeah. I, no, honey? She, I'm doing uh, this for our family. I know it's seven straight days. I'm eating pizza. One day you'll meet her, and one day you'll understand. But she's like placing like Gucci, <laughs> and okay, like very expensive, high end. So she's retailers. not placing pizzerias. So I, she would, you know, actually the person who makes a lot of money at her store or at her company. Um, you know, does like chain stores. Like, I think that's where the real money yeah. is, where the people who are, you know, if there's 2,900 Domino's locations and you set them up, then you're in a good position. But anyway, I was surprised by how little very successful restaurants actually clear from a gross revenue that's a, standpoint. It's a brutal year. business. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I want to backtrack. I, I'm not backtrack, but I want to interject because the one thing that we didn't realize, I think any of us realized when we, when we started talking about this is the, the idea of the collectives. And that's what so I'm, that's it, what I was getting to. Okay, go ahead. Then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, so it's not businesses is, doing this; it's boosters. Yeah, right. So the the businesses, and this is the initial thought that we had was how much money could a pizza place or a sushi restaurant or any restaurant that's on the main drag street of of a college campus reasonably pay somebody while staying in business? And the answer isn't that much because, as I said, I was stunned to see some of the gross revenue numbers from some of these places in these in these really hot popping locations in Texas and other places. So this whole thing is different than what we anticipated. And you know what we always talk about in college football is if there are rules, rules change, or there is an opening or a crack in the door, people are going to do whatever they can within the realm of those rules uh, to succeed at the highest level. And these collectives fall right into the middle of like, well, it's elite, it's legal. And it's allowed, but is this exactly what we t- intended for? Um, so, on that, on that note, real quick, there's a coach who, uh, former coach who does a lot of talk radio in Nashville, and this has nothing. To, this is years ago. He said, "He goes, you want to know, you want to know why the NCAA rule book is so big? It's because coaches are always bending the rules, and that's you know, the, the, there's always rules to counter what coaches are doing, and and um, it's just it's kind of go, go ahead. Yeah, that's it's kinda, like, it's like yeah. if you can't talk to somebody." On Friday until midnight, then guess what? At twelve oh one or whatever, yeah. that's when it all. So it's like it's it's still basically Friday if people are awake, but everybody is trying to exist in the gray area of rules in order to benefit the most, and that's part of the reason why the NIL deal, deal stuff was so scary to people because they knew that maybe if it was just like a kids making five grand a, a semester making posts for for Applebee's or something, that's one thing. But if someone's just going to come up with with fake deals, basically. Um, where they they haven't a, they're not going to be recouping the money that 
from this kid that $8 million would be over the course of four years, especially considering the fact there's a potential that whoever it is might not be very good. And, like, there's a lot of five-star quarterbacks in general that um, that just don't, don't stick around. Yeah, or, I mean, go look at every know, year of to me, I would assume yeah. it's a quarterback because that's who I would pay that money to. That's but, the, you know, that's the only position that's that's the only position. Let's be real. That's going to get that type of money. Yeah. Out, you know, yeah. I think. so and on three actually uh, created a graphic um, that I thought was super interesting about. Um, uh, let me go street if I can find it. But it is a uh, a 2021 NFL by draft numbers or the last five years by draft numbers, according to on three, 63 percent of five star prospects were drafted which is a pretty high number. And if you go down to four stars, it changes to 22%. Um, three stars, 5.3%, and two stars, 4.2%. So as you can see, the hit ratio on a five-star prospect is much higher. That doesn't mean there's as many because there's just far more three stars and four-star recruits. But 63% of five-star athletes end up getting drafted at some point in their in their college career. And that doesn't mean first-rounders, but just selected. So if you're going to spend a bunch of money, you want to spend it on a five-star who has a much likely, uh, more likely to make the NFL because that means they're having an impact on your team in a positive way. But there are people in the professionals that aren't making that much money. And again, I understand that whoever it is is going to be subject to appearances or, or whatever you know bogus deals that they feel like they have, but they're basically paying the guy $8 million bucks to go wherever he's going. So... To me, okay, fine. If that's the world that we're going to be living in now, then I don't care where it is. If I were a five-star prospect who has you know, dreams of going to USC or going to Alabama or, or one of these big-time places, and then all of a sudden Cal calls me and says, hey, you know what? We'll give you $8 bucks to come play at Cal. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go play at Cal. And I think that's what people are afraid of because they don't want this to turn into a bidding war. Um, so here's the thing I'll say. I don't know how long this is going to last because I think that they're going to find that $8 million is a lot of money to waste if somebody doesn't pan out. And if it does but happen, it, but it, I think it's, it's not going to million up, Let me enter. It's yeah, not no, it's $8 still, million up front. So like, let's say he doesn't pan out and wants to transfer. Well, here's another thing. The, the interesting thing reading the story in which Stu, in Tennessee. Yes, Stu noted that um, how – unfriendly these were to players like guys are signing these documents without reading or without getting the legal uh their legal representation reading it and that's what this lawyer was really he that's why he was trying to protect these these players from signing lopsided deals that they need to stay at the school so like let's say you're guaranteed he just doesn't pan out after two years at whatever school does the collective have any way of like getting rid of him so i mean running him off and does he want to stay there does he want to transfer down so he can play so i guess my original I thought point i read was, in david Ubbin's story was that as long as they stay at tennessee that money would be guaranteed but then again listen i'm paying somebody 235 dollars an hour right now to go over my taxes so like you need it costs money to get the proper legal representation that you would need to oversee it i mean when i got my contract from the athletic when i first started it was like 85 pages i can't read that stuff you know, it's a and that contracts are hard legal jargon, and there's words and buzzwords and outs and ins and all, and you need to pay some. Yeah. So, to do so my that. question is like, what's so, say he just doesn't pan out, and I, I don't know the answer to this. Like, what what does the contract say? What does it read? Like, if 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 he just doesn't, no injury, he's just not as good, and he's not the starting quarterback in three years. 
is this collective still going to pay him $2 million a year to be a second or third string quarterback? Yeah, I think my my understanding was that as long as that person stays at their school, that they should be... That's like dead cap money for hey, the NFL. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's... I mean, listen, I just read a stat that Ken Griffey Jr. is like the sixth highest player on the Reds this year. So, um, you know, that's a very normal thing in professional sports, but I don't know how sustainable that is long-term unless you have somebody who's a billionaire who's leading the collective and funneling the money in, and it turns into a bidding war. And if college football turns into a flat-out auction... I honestly would think that sucks. And I've been the first person that has said, you know what, NIL is what it is. The market will set itself. Things will become more reasonable. Yada, yada, yada. But if kids are getting paid $8 million bucks, could you fault them to go anywhere? I would go anywhere for that much money because you could still make the NFL anywhere. Right. And you also would have enough money to financially set yourself up for a very long time. So, you know, I thought, hey, if you pick... Uh, going to school X over Alabama for 20 grand, you're a moron. And I still believe that. But once you start getting into the, the millions and multi-millions, I think that all that goes out the window. Two, two things and then we will move on. Do you think this will be legal as far from the NCAA in, in four years? Like this was not what NIL was intended to be. Um, you, you know, the, these are inducements to go to school. So legally they're not because these collectives – are not rep officially part of the school or the athletic department, but they are representing the school. So do you think the NCAA, like, can the NCAA outlaw this type of structure within three or four years? Do they want, I'm sure they want to, but they don't have the manpower. The or question the that I always yeah. have with NIL, Mitch, isn't whether or not they want to. Yeah. Because I think they want to. Yeah. I don't know what's enforceable and how you can track it. It's right. It's like, once you start talking about money, and you know how I am. I don't want anybody dictating what I'm doing with mine. I don't know how you are. I'm going to let you invest my money. Yeah. Yeah. Market's down. Market's uh, up today. Okay. Okay. Good. We started We started recording this podcast five minutes after the market opened. Mitch doesn't care. I don't care. Um, I, but like seriously though, you can't put your hands in somebody else's pockets. Like it's America. You know what I mean? Like there, it's it's the way it is. So from that standpoint... I don't know how you can enforce it. And if people were worried about the underbelly of college football two years ago, even if they try to enforce that, how can they stop a billionaire from buying a local business and paying him that way? Like if somebody wants to get to the NIL and they want to pay somebody $8 million over the course of four years, they will find a way to do it. And that's the thing that I've always said, you know, whether or not smart businessmen who are billionaires, uh, think that's a smart investment is a completely different discussion. But if let's just say the NCAA finds a way to wrangle these, these collectives, fine, wrangle the collective away. But what's to stop, uh, who's one of the richer, what's to stop Phil Knight from paying every single person a Nike contract that goes to Oregon? Nothing. He could pay anybody he wants $8 million a year. I mean, what's LeBron's shoe deal worth? Wasn't it like $120 million in, like a, in 2002? Like, and it's like a billion-dollar contract now. So he could pay $8 million a year to 80 players if he really, really wanted to with all that Nike money laying around. So there's always going to be a way to get the money to the kids. So the thing that I think is interesting is that these collectives are, are not officially 
connected to the university so they can like kind of live out in their own world and talk to people however they want to talk to and it's got no bearing on whatever coaching staff it's loosely affiliated with but I would bet my life that there are conversations between the coaching staff and the people who are running the collective of hey who are your top priorities oh, sure. all this no stuff doubt. And, like, no and, doubt. Not that, and like and they can get away with it because uh recruiting information is on the athletic it's on on three it's on two four seven it's everywhere and anybody can go find who who Tennessee or or Cincinnati? Go, go or, read Bill Landis's yeah, yeah, top, top ten targets. 10 targets yeah, at Ohio you know, State. it's like we all know. So that's how you can kind of skirt through that like gray area again. But again, if like the idea is the NCAA is fine with with NIL as long as the kids don't make too much money, is kind of where you start getting into hot water. So will it be legal? I don't know what they're gonna do or how they're gonna try to maneuver this all i know is that if there are if somebody wants to cut a check for eight million bucks over four years to a prospect they will find a way within the rules to do that because now that the gut floodgates are open we're never going back right there's no possible way these kids aren't going to be able to get paid for something now and right. as long as they can get paid listen the richest people in america probably find the way to pay the least amount of percentage taxes because they have the resources to do it so if there's a way to move money around, I think that the people who are in a position to pay that money can find a way to get it to where they want it to go. All right. One one question for you. A, a hypo, an unanswerable hypothetical question. How can, And I know coaches are very concerned about this stuff. Um, but from a chemistry standpoint, locker room standpoint, you, you I'm not going to use quarterback because only one quarterback plays, but running back. You've got a running back who's got an NIL deal of a million dollars and he's just not running the ball well or whatever and you got two backups who are who are almost as talented and they're better they're working harder like in the locker room and then you got parents of the backup running back who sees the starter getting the nil deal and his son's not getting anything or not getting much and but he's been more productive any can i don't really know what my questions are either like do, do you foresee this causing a lot is, of problems in locker rooms are going to have a hard time with dealing with, with relations in, in the locker room based on who's yeah you've already you've in. already got 86 85 scholarship players of rosters over 100 this just adds another layer of well the crap. one thing i'll say is that if let's just say we're let's just make alabama the, the fake example in this. okay if the run, most productive running back on alabama is more productive than the guy who's getting paid nil money then likely based on the rabid fan base and the people the, the more productive player is always going to be more recognizable because that's what people care about and thus i think that will even itself out but it was funny because i saw on twitter and there's so much now with college football that relates to pro sports but um christian kirk an inside yeah. wide receiver on monday got paid i believe 18 million dollars over a four-year period and he's a very nice player from scottsdale arizona who went to a&m and i think he's he's pretty good but he got i think he's the second or third highest uh receiver payment wise on uh nfl rosters this year and the entire thing that was so funny to me was that like jalen ramsey tweeted how are we getting paid less than the people we're locking down every week <laughs> and i just think that it's funny but how is that any different from the locker room in the nfl everybody's getting paid different amounts of money and some people are more productive than others like I don't know what Baker Mayfield's contract is, but you know, as somebody who follows the Browns, there are far more productive players on the Browns roster than Baker Mayfield. 
uh, that are getting but, paid less. So, like, that's just kind of the way it works. And but other also, than OBJ's parent, dad, college kids' parents are more not involved, but they're, they're more vocal. They're calling assistant coaches. They're causing more But problems. here's the difference, though. In the NFL, contract money gets leaked all the time. Yeah. NIL is a completely uh, – this isn't public information. So nobody has to know. But schools want in public. It's like yeah, they but don't. They, but nobody, nobody has yeah. to know how much money. Like Quinn Ewers got paid a million quote unquote dollars to do the kombucha tea thing, right? Nobody knows how much money the kid actually made. And if it wasn't for people volunteering that information, nobody would even know that. So, like, I don't know. And this stuff's going to happen. Like what happened with Stu's story. Like we're going to get bits and pieces of it, but. I'm a reporter who covers college football. You edit college football. You don't know how much anybody got paid last year. Nobody right. knows. So will it cause problems? Will there be jealousy? Will people be confused? Sure. But I don't know that, you know, teams and the pros with te- people who are making a variety of different salaries have a, I mean, me and you make different money. Me and Bill make different money. We all work together. So, you know, I don't know. If I'm overly concerned about that, and I it's think been it's, going on for years. I mean, it's it's at not, every it, level except yeah. college. Yeah, but but it's also been going on college. Parents or dads are still pissed that their son's not playing more because he's not getting the reps, so he's not going to go to the NFL and all that stuff. There's just more. There's money behind. Yeah, it yeah. Now. I mean, and that that exists. I mean, there are helicopter parents, buddy. I mean, yeah. I, let me tell you, covering Ohio State, you know, you got some really good involved parents who are are reasonable and understand the way it works, and you got some other parents who have kids who transfer after a semester. So, like, I I mean, that varies. And yeah. as it comes to who's getting paid what and how you put yourself in a position, it's already kind of like that. Have you ever been to a, a football camp before? You got a thousand parents lined up against the chain link fence watching their kids play, and all this whole thing is, is how are we going to get to the money? So, you know, will it cause problems? I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm sure individually there will, there will be things, but I don't think that, like, the entire ability to have a – a roster that has chemistry is going to be impossible now that people make different money. And there's just an understanding too, that if you're a quarterback, you're going to get paid more like the offensive guard on George's team knows that they're not going to make as much money as the quarterback. If both go to the NFL, because the the, there's a different premium on the position. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, this, uh, this surely will not be the last time we're talking NIL on the pod. We, you know, it will be fun to watch it evolve because you got to remember to be even a year into this, you know, so I don't know. And, of course, there was always going to be outlandish deals at the beginning because people are just trying to figure out if they can get an edge. But I do – let me ask you this. Do you think that in five years this is going to be calm? Or do you think we're going to start getting into $20 million, $30 million, $40 million? Or do you think that once people realize that, you know, it might not be the wisest investment to, to do it this way, it's going to calm down a little bit? Well, again, I don't – investments is, is, is not the right – it is the right word, but it's not the right word because it's not Ari's car dealer investing. It's a collective. It's a lot. It's donor money. It's people it's like someone's money. I don't yeah, care who it is. It, but it, it, it's it's Ari giving two hundred dollars a year to the Arizona collective. You know, what I mean? it, it's it's obviously that's not going to put a huge dent in it. But it's not one person deciding to have someone endorse their business. But I, no, like I, I get your I, I, you know, yeah, like the idea that fans but here, let me give you this, because Ubbin wrote about Tennessee. Yeah. Tennessee signed the top ten a uh, number ten class three years ago and they suck. So I wonder 
and like, listen, I wrote a mailbag on Tuesday. kind of a Tuesday. strong word. They stunk the year yeah. after. Oh, they, I mean, okay. Yeah, in the immediate time. But yeah, Tennessee is yeah. also then, a program that has recruited, that has, well, whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, to, you're right. Yeah. You're right. But let me say it this way. They aren't good enough to win a national championship. And I wonder if everybody starts a collective because, Mitch, everyone's going to do it. Yeah. Like at a certain point, it's not just going to be, oh, look at the visionaries at Tennessee who were the first person to organize and do this. You don't think Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, UCLA, USC, and every other school in the country is looking at this and saying, we have to figure out a way to do this? I saw a picture on the on Twitter the other day of Brian Schottenstein, who is the one of the richer donors of Ohio State football, was in Turks and Caicos with, with Ryan Day. You don't, What do you think they're talking about? What do you, you think they're friends? No, they're not friends. They're three, to three wide sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the guy's the, the the heir to a furniture chain. So, okay, fine. You want to go to Turks and Caicos with Ryan Day, figure it out, go figure it out. The thing I don't understand, I think will be interesting is that in these worlds of collectives, there's still going to be rankings. So someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. So if all these individual fans are paying 200 here, 1,000 here, 500 here. And in 10 years, the hierarchy of the sport isn't different. I wonder how much longer people are going to want to spend their hard-earned money, especially the people who are only giving 200 or $300. Because the whole point of it is to have an impact of change. Yeah. And if it doesn't change anything, then you're going to want to donate to a different charity or do something different with your $300 a year. So, yes... I understand this, but I do think that the natural economic evolution of this is going to get wrangled in because just because you have a collective doesn't mean you're going to win a national championship. Sure. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right. Can we talk? You want to talk recruiting? We were talking about recruiting. I know. You want to talk actual recruiting? Yeah. Okay. Um, two commitments, basically only two commitments this past week of four stars or higher, uh, slow time, as we've talked about before camps, before, you know, 
I guess in April and in, in, in coaches hit the road, kids go to camps and all that. Uh, Stanford got a four-star wide receiver, Amari Borden from Quincy, Florida, 315 overall in Louisville. Um, went to California, Jillian McLean, athlete from St. John Bosco, number 305. I'd expect um, – I don't have the recruiting calendar right in front of me, Ari, but isn't isn't um, I know the uh, camps in, in June more, but but coaches start hitting the road in April, I believe. I would suspect we'll see some more commitments um, probably in about a month. I think. I think there's a higher up. correlation between kids visiting schools in commitments than vice versa. But yeah. yes, I think that as you get closer, it's actually going a little bit slower than it usually has. Yeah, that's what I was trying it to. Does. It seems like it's see. I don't know if we could actually look that up maybe for next week. But everything's so um, weird because of the COVID year, and kids were maybe were more yeah. eager. Like once they could actually, because kids can go visit campus camp campus unofficially anytime they want too. It's funny because the COVID thing you would expect would make people less likely to commit. Like everything with COVID was the exact opposite. If you take out college football recruiting, like what about investing? Well, maybe we should wait. What about buying? certain goods and services maybe we should wait like everything was slowed down for covid and then you know or maybe it was just like a supply chain issue of spots on rosters that made everybody commit so fast but i just thought it was like funny how how the recruiting world kind of reacted in the opposite way of everybody else like their regular real life decisions during that time speaking of visits and camps and being on campus and coaches um, scouting players. You went to what is an Under Armour camp in Dallas on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, now those camps, coaches, high college ca- coaches can't go. That's just correct. That's just more like it's only working. families and kids yeah, and kids working and out in media. People. Yeah, can go there. Just thoughts and takeaway. I know you you, you spent some time with Jonte Cook, a, uh, a wide receiver from uh, DeSoto, who you wrote about yesterday. Looks like it's a Texas Texas A&M battle. Although some of the other big dogs nationally will get in. So. Fun to be out of the camp, I assume, and just some takeaways. Yeah, it's crazy because when I go to these camps, the number one takeaway that I always have is, man, I have a lot of respect for the people who who uh, rate these kids. Yes. Because you go to the camp and there's my – like at this camp that I went to in Dallas on Sunday, there were probably 10 top 100 players from multiple classes there, and they all clearly stood out because they're much more talented – but then there's like 42, three, four star type players, and they're very hard to decipher. So, like, whenever I'm there, I always like have an appreciation for these guys who have their notepads out and are like watching specific players go through specific drills and actually like breaking down their ability um, and how they're able to do that. Because honestly, if you've ever been to a camp, these guys are wearing jerseys that are numbered uh, or shirts that are numbered, and they are in nine different places in one minute. It's like, it's hard to keep track of where anybody is all the time. Um, But I do think it's interesting when these camps are regional. So you get a very good, like condensed um, population of people who are from the area that you're in, um, which gives you a good idea of like what the vibe of stuff is. And the one thing I'll say is that the vibe of the interviews that I took place in and hearing people talk and talking to parents and doing what I was doing is that Texas and Texas A&M are really, really high on all their boards. And, you know, I've been to camps in Miami, and I've been to camps in Ohio and California, and usually it's more of a mixed bag at, at these places of who are you. And it, to me, it seems like both of these schools in Texas are very high up on a lot of these lists. So 
Um, I have a few stories that I was going to write, uh, but you're going on vacation and neglecting your job. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry. We might have to push them to next week. Uh, but I talked to a kid that was at IMG right now about what it's like to go to IMG and how you view your recruitment. People should look out for next week. Um, and a few other players that I'm going to get up, but I, I do think that it's super fun and it does feel good to be back out there. Um, just watching kids run around. We're going to go back. We're going to head to the mailbag in a little bit, but there was one question that kind of relates to what you just said about evaluating the non elite players that, that it was from a couple of weeks ago that I thought was interesting. Alfred T. I'm actually very curious about Duke and their prospects. I find Mike Elko's hiring intriguing and I'm cautiously optimistic about what he can build there. Do you see him replicating Dave Clawson's success at Wake Forest or is he another Derek Mason at Vanderbilt? I wanted to bring this up in the context of one thing since I've been, you know, I've always followed recruiting, but since I've been your editor and we've been doing this podcast, obviously I follow it a lot more closely. And we might have talked about this on an earlier pod, but do you subscribe to this theory? Because it kind of relates to this. And, um, as you always say, everyone knows the top 100 recruits. Everyone can identify a five-star. Maybe the top two – I don't know what the, the line is there. But after you get to a certain number, maybe it's 500, There's it's all about identifying, evaluating, best fit for your system. Like Dave Clawson, you look at the way they recruit, there's no way they should be going to bowl games. They have consistently one of the weaker – of the power fives, one of the lower – you know, Sam Hartman was – very low-rated quarterback in his class. And so, like, Derek Mason at Vanderbilt, I know it's the SEC, but he out-recruited Wake Forest probably almost every year, and Dave Clawson's won twice as many games. So do you, at what number recruit do you – is that the right range, 500 to 1,000? It's just it's really just about identifying the right fits for your program. But did Dave Clawson also have a plan that when he got there that, like, basically his entire team redshirted and they bought in a, brought in a bunch of transfers and it all kind of, like, came together It wasn't once. really transfers. It was just redshirting. They, um, especially on the uh, – like Their entire line. team was, like, 22 when they were playing yeah. against 18 year olds. So, like, I understand. But most most schools do that. Duke, Vanderbilt, Northwestern, those schools redshirt a lot. I mean, Duke yeah. – Wake did it more and bit the bullet really early. But um, I but just it's think just it's like, about will evaluating. Will Wake Forest be this good next year? Probably not. Um, but they don't but need yeah, to be sure. this good to prove the point. They could still go to their six and six and go to a bowl game based on the way they recruit. Yeah. That's still great evaluation well, I think that the, and coaching. The, the truth of the matter is that Dave Clawson probably should have a better job now um, and probably will at some point. Well, uh, I, and he that, had the opportunities this year and he resigned. Yeah. yeah um, I thought that was great. Where would I start the, the, um, the everybody is fending for themselves ranking? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, probably. 500 might be too high, right? 500, maybe 400. Okay. No, I was thinking uh, maybe lower. I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, it's hard, man, because like the difference between the 461st player and the 731 player isn't all as big. That's my, it's sort of my point. So, like, so it's, it's like finding really the right guy. You know what it, I marvel at, Mitch? What? Look at the Mac. They're all the same. Like the schools. Right. You know, I mean, I guess like Athens, Ohio is beautiful and Miami, but like for the most part, like is there like a Miami very... of Ohio is the only private school. It's the best school there. Yeah. Some of the schools but... differentiate themselves and I don't want to offend anyone, but like what's the difference between Kent State and Akron? That's I don't what know. I was just going to yeah. say. Like yeah. how and like how do you, and like there might be a difference between those two schools to the people who go there. Yeah. But how they, do you convince a yeah. recruit yeah. that they're different is a different as a, that's a completely different discussion. So that's all about sales and evaluation. It's like also Bowling Green yeah. and uh, Western Michigan and Northern Illinois and all these places, they're all recruiting the same three states and they're all recruiting 
the same group of kids and they're all same trying pool. to prove yeah. to I don't know how anybody works in that conference. Yeah. I, I, they're all the same and all the kids that they're recruiting are the same. And every single year there's a different good team in there. So maybe that's the reason for it. But like, I honestly don't know. I, I think that it's possible and maybe I'll call a Mac recruiting coordinator and write a column about this. But like, I don't know how to differentiate yourself at that level. So that's a completely extreme point that I'm making as it relates to the question. But I do think that if you are living in a world where your classes are consisting of 90% kids who are ranked in between 500 and 2000, you're basically being judged and compared and competing with the other teams in that realm. And every year there's a new team that recruits in that realm that rises to the occasion. And Northwestern's done it. Vanderbilt with James Franklin did it. Dave Clawson just did it. Every year it's a new team. And that just means that those people, like Iowa State did it, have done a superior job of not only evaluating, but developing their talent from the same pool. So And finding the right quarterback in most yes, cases. Yes, and that's why college football um, is hard to analyze sometimes because at one place, it's just like, well, no crap. Six teams are going to win the national championship, and it's only those six teams. But like, that's a very small percentage of the actual sport. And then the rest of the sport, and then you have a second tier that you know can beat the top tier in a one-off game every now and then. But you know, our our nine and three, ten and two teams, and then the rest of the sport, which is probably seventy percent, is all just like, well, we're recruiting from the same pool from different areas, and we're all trying to do what we can do, and that's that. And I got an interesting question in the mailbag. Uh, that I published on Tuesday on The Athletic that basically said there are some schools that the main job is just to convince the best players to come there, and there are some schools that are more talent evaluation heavy. But which school is probably equal both? both? And I pick North Carolina because they've proven that they can get four or five-star prospects in their, uh, in their classes, but also they are very evaluation heavy on the bottom half. And I didn't know I if that was were, a perfect example, by the way. Did good you think job, that Ari. was good? Yeah, I thought that was a good one. I couldn't really think of of anybody really else. I mean, maybe Penn State to a certain extent or or certain teams that have shown that they can get Oregon. Oregon. I mean, Oregon had 10 top 100 players two years ago, so they're they're probably more closer to the top. But that is a – I mean, that's the whole name of the game. And and here's the thing, too. Just because you're a good evaluator doesn't mean that you're always going to have a great team. There are ebbs and flows to this. Like you could have, you could have the greatest evaluation. Like I think Michigan State during the D'Antonio years was the best at this that I've ever seen, of having really solid, good teams every year, despite the fact that they weren't recruiting well. But for the most part, being a great evaluating team is doing it for three years, finding gems in the rough, and then it all comes together for one great year. I think it's very, very hard to be very good multiple years in a row, which is what makes what Alabama does so crazy because. No matter who leaves their staff or who leaves their roster, there are elite and maybe number one every single year, no matter what. And most teams that are in that building phase are kind of just like, let's hope that our coach is good enough to build us up for one great year because it's not sustainable and it's hard and developing is hard and it's not consistent. And evaluations change and players change and camps and access change, like and rules change. Like so many things change. And that's why I think it's just like the hardest job in the country. So these guys get paid a lot of money. Uh, We criticize them when it's warranted, um, but it's super hard, and I understand that. But it's also about evaluation, too, which you made in that – you made that point. 
we can't we can't sit here and say that Kirby Smart and Nick Saban aren't evaluated. When Josh Jacobs was a three star running back from Tulsa, was it Tulsa? I know it's from Oklahoma, who wasn't that highly recruited, and you know he's first round draft pick. And so it's it's the combinations, the schools that select basically pick the five stars, but complement those with the great evaluations on the three stars. People have a very funny tendency of forgetting that elite level programs are also very good at evaluating. Probably better. Well, those coaches got there. You know, Nick Saban rose the coaching ladder because he was yeah. a great is coach Nick and a Saban great evaluator. Not as good of an evaluator as Dave Pat Fitzgerald or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dave Claw. I mean, come on, let's really think about this. And it's always about evaluating who was the best player in college football last year. Was it Jordan Davis? Maybe. Yeah. Three star. Dude, I saw a graphic, by the way, of Jordan Davis. Um, you know how they sometimes they show these like pictures that are meshed together of forty times and it shows you where they are against other people that are faded out in the background and Jordan Davis runs faster than like Baker Mayfield. And it's like, I don't think <laughs> people realize how athletic and how talented a kid that size is to move that way. And to be able to go into, where was he from? He was from Georgia. No, he was from North Carolina, North Carolina or something. And for him to, to go find him and develop him into whatever that is, that freak of nature that helped him win a national championship. That is evaluating too, guys. Like that's not, it's not just like, my team is Duke, and we're going to maybe play for an ACC championship in three years because we're going to evaluate better. What, you don't think Mac Brown's evaluating? Right. Clemson's not evaluating? Clemson's been the most uh, successful evaluation program in America because they've actually won national championships with classes outside of their top ten. Like that's And that I don't even know if that'll ever happen again unless these NIL collectives change the game and everybody's got a, a class that's very e- even. But even then, I'm not sure we want college football to be like the NFL, do we? No. So, right. well, we have we're doing a recruiting podcast, and we haven't mentioned Arch Manning's name yet. And I think we just we're going to have to do that every week until we commit somewhere. Uh, Steve Steve Wildfong from uh, 247 reported recently that Arch is going to Georgia this weekend and Texas next Thursday. If you want more, some informed, I guess relatively informed, Arch Manning commentary opinions thoughts go back and listen to last week's podcast if you haven't with sam Kahn. we talked a lot of texas state of texas recruiting um sam believes that that texas is in really good shape with arch i know you wrote that um alabama thinks you know it's in good shape so this is clearly going to be something we're following but I, I'm, I'm fascinated i have no dog in the hunt obviously i'd love to see arch man and go to texas i think it'd be fun for the sport i just want quinn ewers to sling that rock so you want you you want Quinn Ewers to be the quarterback at Texas in twenty twenty two? I want Arch Manning to go to Ole Miss. Okay, that's a fun one too. If I could pick where he would go, they should let us pick the, like, the top ten quarterbacks. They should let us t- like they're all that good would places. be fun. We we talk about all these schools are fun. They're all good. They're all well coached. Let us decide. Yeah, let's just recruiting stays the same in college football for every position, but quarterback is a draft. Yeah, that would be that. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be um, cool. um. I do think that Texas should be in really good position already at the quarterback position. And I'd be very interested to see what would happen at Texas if Arch Manning actually goes there. Cause it does seem like, I mean, Sarkeesian has done a very good job of convincing offensive players that he is a very big offensive guru. And that year in Alabama, when he got Devante Smith, the Heisman is like a year that these recruits are being sold on and are buying. And I think that it's much easier to win the Heisman in Alabama than it is to build a program um, but if Arch Manning goes to Texas, that would be a huge statement 
of because Texas is supposed to be recruiting like Bama, in my opinion. Yes. Um, they have the resources for for geography, but they also are like Texas. Like back in two thousand five, when Vince Young was there, what year was that? Two thousand. What was the year? Two thousand two thousand five was the year they won yeah. the national championship. Yeah. Texas was the national brand of the sport that year, and it's just like, shouldn't they be one of the cool kids? And so it's like I, me getting getting Arch Manning would be like a, a. It shouldn't be a surprise. Like it shouldn't be like it's oh a my surprise God, because of where they Texas. are. But so, so Her. in a related note, it'd be interesting to hear your answer. This Are you holding a pylon in your hand? Oh, no, it's a uh, roller, oh. foam, foam roller for my hamstrings and stuff. And it's right near my desk, so I just kind of like hold it. Well, actually, I went to a place called Stretch Zone last week. Have you ever heard of that? No, I, I you had a place of uh, hamstrings popping. Like, I just. I, no, I went, to, I went to a place called Stretch Zone okay. where a person puts you on a table and they strap you down like Hannibal Lecter. And then they stretch your body for you. Britt got it for me. So for, it's not a massage. It's a... It, okay. How did you feel afterwards? I felt great. Okay. But she said I have the hamstrings of an 84-year-old woman. So like <laughs> the rest of my body is flexible. It's funny because as a big man, I sit crisscross applesauce. You know that? Yeah. Like on the floor. If I'm sitting on the floor, that's how I sit. Yeah. My wife's a first grade a, teacher. I'm familiar with the phrase. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You can't call it what it used to be called. I know. But like that's... That is how I sit all the time, like on the couch and whatever. So I have very flexible legs, but my hamstrings are like, I can't, I don't know. (laughs) I saw Ari's feet. I can't wait to tell Grace. I just saw your feet. Uh, It's hard. Um, So what do you do with that thing? Well, I, you know, as you know, I run a lot and I've, my knees are fine. My, my, I have no health issues from running except my hamstrings get tight. So I just roll, and for years I went to I went to like physical therapy, learned all these stretches. And about ten years ago, I went to Dick's Sporting Good and bought a foam roller, and that's by far the best thing you can ever do. So this isn't actually an old one; it's spongy. I bought one of the new ones that are. But much what do harder. you do with it? Like do you I just, sit on the floor with it? Yeah, you put it sit on the floor, and you just roll your hamstrings over it. And the more it hurts, the better. It like breaks up the muscle, and it's just like it hurts, but it feels oh. good. And then so I maybe do I'll that. Be- a, maybe I'll get a foam roller. So I do that before and after I run. So no, it's just something I kind of play with here. Um, I was going to. I had a, uh, something I was going to ask you. I lost my I'm train sorry. of thought here. With, I, yeah, did, I did that. That's my fault. It's bad podcasting. Yeah. Uh, just we like imagine ta- oh, no, being so me. Last week, at about this time, conference tournaments were on, and I was watching. I Indiana actually came back and won, but Michigan was beating Indiana bad. In the term "sleeping giant," or we we always say that program should be good. We use that way too often in college sports. But I texted one of my friends. I said, of all programs in college sports, I think Indiana is the one where it's like they should be great in college basketball. No excuses. And then he responded, yeah, them and Texas football. So, I mean, that's no secret that everyone thinks Texas should be better. But I'd say, would you agree with that? Indiana basketball and Texas football? Um, yeah. Like Indiana's, I mean, I know Purdue's good, but Indiana's good high school basketball. They have great tradition, great fans. I've been to a game there. It's awesome. Yeah, and no, it's, I'm with it's, you. It's a, I'm with it's you. a basketball school. You know? I think Indiana is definitely the answer in college basketball. I don't. I think Texas would be one of the top three in college football. Like, who else would fall into that? Like, I think Florida, Florida should always be good. I think Miami should always be great. Um, I would put Florida. I, I think Miami. I, I understand why you put them in there. But they have enough going against them that I see – I don't put them in the same class. Like, off-campus stadium for now. Yeah, like Indiana, fans, it's, it's like, it's like everything is right there for you. What's going and, on? 
Like, yeah. and I don't, I know a lot of schools have dynamics that we don't know about in the infrastructure. I, I don't think there's anything at Indiana like holding them back. Like people say, Texas, there's too many cooks in the kitchen and, you know, the, the wrong boosters. Like, I don't necessarily think that's the case. In that's Indiana. the thing that's most frustrating with Texas, though, Mitch, is because everybody tells you it's not as good um, as a job of Oklahoma, like Bruce Feldman and Andy Staples, yeah. people who have, who have been on the other side of that argument with me. Always say you can't win in Texas because there's too many cooks in the kitchen at Texas. It's like, what does that mean? Like, well, here's what happens: Nick Saban. There were a lot of cooks in the kitchen in Alabama. Nick Saban came in and sell, said, "Tell those cooks to shut up," and he had the power to do it. And there's no, there's one cook in the kitchen in Alabama now, and it's Nick Saban. And no one in Texas has has had the ability to do that. And so, you know. Maybe if Sark starts winning, then he has the ability to do that. So, you know, we'll find out. A um, couple more, couple more uh, mailbag questions. Is that okay? You with me? Yeah, I'm with you, bud. Okay. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply couple questions which I kind of like the idea, but I'm going to ask you a, kind of a different question. This is from Edward D. Do great teams win because they have great players, or do great players go there because it's a great school? Interested to get your thoughts in this chicken-the-egg scenario. I want to twist this into how many schools recruit themselves. You know the phrase. Now, obviously, every co- you need to be a good recruiter. You need to care. Look at Florida. Look at Dan Mullen. Look at certain schools. But like we, we argue a lot about Tennessee because I'm older than you, and I live here. And I remember when Tennessee won the national title and all they have going for them, you kind of remember more of them just kind of being a mess over the last two decades. Like, I think Tennessee is a school that recruits itself. Like, how many schools would you say that about? Just any I think we can make a list of 10. Any competent coach can recruit there at, at these schools. Like, Oregon, I would say, is not a school that recruits itself. You need a great recruiter. I'm just picking them randomly. Because I think Notre Dame does. Yes. I mean, the obvious one's Alabama, Georgia, and that's why we've all thought that Georgia was perhaps the best job in the country for the last 10, 15 years. It just didn't realize its potential. I think Ohio State might be one of the easiest jobs in America. Yeah. From the sense of recruiting good players, like obviously the demand of winning and you know all that stuff, it makes it challenging. I'm not saying that Ryan Day is an easy job. I'm saying that any coach that is even semi-competent could win 10 games there without really having to bake a break his back right um alabama but was that always the case or did it nick saban make it feel that way i think no, that's i think the, alabama always recruits itself I but think alabama's had like a 10-year down period in the 90s like how yeah. many like which programs didn't have like down periods and i think like ohio state's really bad the hires, only, i think ohio state's the only program that has never had an extended down period 
in the history of the program. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's just how do you defend, de- define this? Like, I would call Penn State a school that recruits itself, but I'm probably being a little too liberal with the term. I just think the schools that have the tradition, the fan base, and the game day atmosphere, if you're a competent head coach, you can get kids there. Well, then I think the list, if that's the, if you think Penn yeah. State's on that list, then your list is way longer than mine. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it's Penn prob- State's on there. I think Oklahoma's on there. Yeah. O- Oklahoma just got body bagged by their old head coach and they still ended up with a top 10 class, didn't they? Yeah. So just something to think about. I mean, yeah, again, Texas, Texas. I would say Texas, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Texas A&M? No. Okay. I think they have an extraordinarily good recruiting coach right now. A&M is, I've never been to a game there, but I've heard it's one of the best atmospheres in the sport. So, yes. you know, maybe. I've been there. But like it, LSU. The, the criteria isn't just awesome campus with a big stadium that gets <laughs> loud because like everybody has that. Um, LSU was probably one. I just th- yeah, that's a really tough question. Yeah, well, it's just because it's it's, yeah. it's so vague. I just right, like I feel like the Indianas of football are good already. Like I I think Texas is the number like the way the reason why you ask that question is because of Texas, right? Yeah, I think Texas is the number one person. Is the closest thing to Indiana of is isn't good but should be, like that. Yeah. All right. Here's another very similar question, um, and we do lists, so no lists. We each have to pick one for this one. Okay. Okay. When it comes to recruiting possibilities, this is from Dominic Petrillo. I hope I pronounced your name, Dominic. He's a fantasy contributor to the Athletic, and he is. You, I don't think he. I've noticed he's asked you several questions in your mailbag, and you never answered Dominic's question. So, well, Dominic, I'll get you next time. Okay. When it comes to recruiting possibilities, who is the biggest sleeping giant? Recruiting possibility. Now, I have the that spreadsheet that I have of like recruiting class for the last thirteen years in front of me, so I, I'm I might be cheating a little bit. So I'm looking at the the non top 10 classes anyone come to mind arizona state okay and that's hey it's it's the uh the arch rival of your alma mater too so you can say that um michigan how's that fair good one michigan one? science top 10 classes so i tried to find i yeah. tried to find a, a team okay that, that's that, that's fair maybe someone like, outside I mean, the i guess but michigan if you think michigan could sign alabama classes then that's your answer um, I don't know if they could. Here's one that you always make fun of me for like liking too much. Washington. Vanderbilt. Washington. I think like if the, you didn't have a writer that covers Washington, that no, you I've would always liked Washington. I've always okay. liked Washington. Um, I, I think there's no reason uh, for West Coast kids that they shouldn't be right behind USC. I think they should. So be Washington better. should be Oregon. Yes, but they don't have Nike. So yeah. Um, they have made the playoff, bud, so I'll give you that. Virginia is an interesting one, too, because Virginia has shown the ability to get high-end players. Like, uh, they, they've had more five stars than you would think at Virginia. They just don't – their classes never have depth. I just like – that's another school that I like. I like that. I wrote a post on The Athletic, the recruiting sleeping giants. I'll just go find it. Was that your editor? I believe so. Yeah. Um, so that's why I mean. There's there's a lot of lists, and I, I broke our rule because I said let's we need to pick one, and I named like three, so – Sleeping Giants, I mean, I as asked this question uh, in a mailbag that you edited, so yeah. you were my editor. Um, I said Arizona State again uh, okay. in this, but also so, had UCLA. Yeah, that's one. Um, UCLA's recruiting results are not indicative of what UCLA <laughs> should be doing at all. 
Uh, and I think that's an indication of who their head coach in, is. In, in fact, when I is. when I wrote this question, when I copy and pasted it, that was my answer. Like uh, I should have said UCLA just now, but I went with um, who I went with. And I, I think I would pick Maryland over Virginia. And Maryland, and I don't know how, but they, they have like the East Coast Nike. Like isn't Under Armour's founder yeah. a Maryland grad? Yeah. And Rutgers could be one? Yeah. I don't think so. I think that those teams are the poorest that have the most to gain. Maybe that's a different question. Yeah. All right, one I think more. Arizona State could be a perennial top five program if they got the right person in there. Yeah. Great. Uh, top five's maybe a stretch, but top, top 10. ten. But yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, this is a long question from Jesse, and then we'll get to our trivia question. Okay. Um, and this is just this is right up your our alley. What we talk about all the time. And in, in, let's fast forward five years into the future. Mary Cristobal and Billy Napier have built up Miami and Florida. <laughs> I'm going to start mispronouncing. From now on, if there's a question with Mario Cristobal, just let me ask yeah. you. Okay. Yeah. And we had our, I had to speak in front of our entire college football staff last week on a Zoom. And I think I did okay, except when I had to mention his name and then I panicked and basically started crying. Um, Mario and Billy, how about that, have built up Miami and Florida at the level we know those programs can be at. Lincoln Riley is USC humming and a lock on SoCal talent. While Jimbo Fisher, Steve Sarkeesian, Sonny Dykes, and Dana Holgerson, or the next head coach at Houston, are doing a great job of keeping top talent in Texas. What does the recruiting landscape look like? Which programs have gone from powerhouse to just good? We've kind of talked about this. Is Ohio State one of your answers? I don't think they're ever going to be just good. Right, right. So, yeah, so like he, I, he, I he goes on, are Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, and Ohio State still in that elite tier? Clearly Georgia is. Because Georgia has so much talent there. Which program? I just I saw guess, that Ohio State got a crystal ball from a five-star receiver like this morning. Yeah. So I and guess I just, w- w- which program is in the most jeopardy in an era in when all those when there are no sleeping giants on, in recruiting? Auburn. Yeah. Okay. And that's maybe part of the reason. They're, <laughs> yeah, they're in the situation that they're in, but. There's top. There's eleven top 100 players in Alabama. This That's what I was going to say. I have we'll, we'll, zero, zero confidence that Auburn is going to be able to get any of them. Auburn picked a bad year to be in chaos. Yeah, yeah. they did. Yeah. Um, Auburn can't recruit Florida anymore. Can't recruit Louisiana, and it can't recruit Texas. And Alabama is not their state. So in Georgia, Georgia is difficult to recruit because of Georgia. Even though there's and like maybe they'll be able to go pick up one or two. I'm, I'm not saying they're sure. not going to get anybody, but it's. If I were an Auburn fan right now, I'd be like, what the hell are we going to do? But also, they haven't been very good in the you know recent past. Okay, what about Clemson? Hmm. You know how I feel about Clemson. I It's hard. It's like this like weird line between respecting the hell out of Dabo for doing something that is literally impossible and like him being one of the best coaches in the sport because of it. And like, that's how I feel. I also am not buying stock in them. Yeah. It's like, I, I've written a lot about North Carolina and how UNC is, is killing it there and how hard it is for Clemson. It's like Clemson's still going to get their guys. I think that the only thing that's standing in Clemson's way right now is their, is their philosophy. And I think that is going to change. So, um, I think it's possible that Clemson is just good in the future. Mm-hmm. I think of all the player of all the schools that are in the Cool Kids Club, Clemson is the most in danger of falling out of it. Getting kicked off the lunch table. Yeah, 
because Clemson is a very, very, very good national recruiting outfit. So if they don't have very good secondary territories to go to in their home territory, um, is being a little bit more tough because of how good Mac Brown's recruiting in Virginia, North Carolina, then I think you can make the very same case about Clemson that I made about Ohio State earlier, which is it's going to be harder to recruit nationally. I don't know if they'll be able to get 10 top 100 players in there. How are they going to do it this year? It's like Ohio State probably is way more likely to do it yeah. than Clemson is. So that, that but, might be a good – like that might actually be like a good reportable story. By the way, I love that term. Landis uses it a lot. Outfit. Recruiting, yeah, recruiting outfit. Yeah. Yeah. Are you wearing your recruiting outfit right now? Uh, a podcast outfit? Yeah, I'm wearing a Nike t-shirt and Nike gym shorts. And uh, Do you have a sponsorship deal with Nike? As you're, as you're training for your wedding, you should get a sponsorship deal with Nike. I love Nike. So do I. Um, you, are you wearing a Nike suit? You should wear a Nike suit. I'm actually going to get fitted for my suit right after this. Uh, talk about something like a rite of passage for a, a dad. Took Gabe to go get uh, fitted for a tux for, prom? Pr- for the prom last week. It was kind of fun. The senior prom, right? Yeah, senior prom. When's that coming? It's early at his school. It's it's uh, two weeks. Most of my that is very early. Yeah. Our prom was like a month before graduation, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's is uh, March 30th or whatever the last Saturday in March is. So uh, wow. Yeah. Does he have a date? Yeah. Yes. This guy's got a lady friend. Yeah. So, oh, good. So uh, you're gonna have to give him the talk soon. <laughs> <laughs> I always say something about your kids that makes you uncomfortable on every podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry, but hey, he's like. He's a growing boy. He's off to college and plays on the baseball team. Just be yeah. a good dad. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, all right. Ready for some trivia? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry for making you uncomfortable. No, that's no problem. Um, all right. 23. Okay. This one's very difficult, but pay attention to the question so you can't okay. blame your bad answer and not okay. pay attention, uh, which not, happens a lot, right? It does. Well, it's okay. not from paying attention. It's because it's just there's a lot of info flying yeah. at you. Or sometimes once. you have to go to the bathroom and you're just waiting for the podcast to end or something. That was one time, yeah. Yes. <laughs> 23 top 100 players in the class of 2023 have issued a commitment already. Got that? 23 players are off the board. Okay. How many of those 23 are committed to an in-state program? Oh, hell. Well, USC's got a few, don't they? Um, Answer, please. I'm thinking, man. Okay. I'm like well, trying to think to about who, you can't. We can't have dead air. I'm trying. It's I'm trying to think of like who um, is actually committed already. I think my answer would be. I'm feeling you're going to get real close on this one. I can see in your eyes. You're concentrating. You're actually trying this week. I'm trying to. Well, I'm like, like it's like. I think it's about half. So you said 23. I'll say 12. Eight. Damn. That, that's not awful. That's not awful. Okay. Malachi Nelson to USC. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Joel Malachi Hurley Nelson. to yeah. Alabama. Makai Lemon to USC. Drake Bowen to Notre Dame. A rare Notre Dame in-state recruit. Bo uh, Hewley. Uh, Luke, Mo- Luke Montgomery to Ohio State. Bo Hewley. Is a Hewley? I guess Hughley or Hewley to Georgia. Uh, uh, Sunterine Perkins to Ole Miss. And Marcus Washington to Georgia. Yeah, that's a hard one. Damn. So. I was, just inter- I was interested by was, that because I was really thinking on that one. Yeah, I mean it's un- it's ungettable unless you you're good at your job, all right. But I don't expect you to know off the top of your head the the, the, the 23 top 100 kids who have committed. So it's just sort of a guess and just I thought it was yeah, interesting. but I had some dead air because I knew I know a handful of them off the yeah. top of my head. 
Yeah. And uh, again, Notre Dame. 12 Notre- isn't is an, is an embarrassing answer. No, it's not. Like if you would have said two or 20, that would have been par for the Even course. Even two, for I you. don't think it would have been that crazy. Yeah. So if I would have said 21, that would be like, okay, dude. Like, no, I, well, on par answer for me would be like 43. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 43 of the 23 have committed. Because yeah. so. sometimes I have questions that don't even make sense mathematically. So what's uh, your, um, before we go, what's your, what's your interest in the round ball other than gambling? Gambling. Okay. That's it. Okay. Um, I enjoy watching it just like everybody else. Okay. I don't have a bracket. I want to do a bracket challenge, but I don't want to do one for $5. Like I want to do one. We've got where an I athletic like, staff con- one for $5. You, you, yeah. I want to, I want to do one that's like 150. So like I sit down with a bracket. Why don't you, actually- why don't you and Britt do one, a family one, and just both fill it out and the winner gets $150. That doesn't work because we share a bank account. Okay, I got to. Okay. Before we leave, I have a question for you. I need a third. I need a. So my son is in my fantasy football league. Gabe is in fantasy football league with me and my friends. I pay, and he's also in a baseball league that I'm in with my friends. I pay his entry fee, like thirty dollars, whatever it is, every time. I just he won the football league this year. I told him I should be able to get recoup my entry fee, and he says no way. And my wife says no way that he should get all the winnings. Should I be able to keep thirty dollars back and give him one twenty? I think you should take your. You should keep your money. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's I don't, know how, much, I don't know how much your voice matters in this, but I just well, you know what I was, was going to say. Yeah, yeah. I knew you'd be on my side there. Um, if there's an opportunity for me having money or not having Gabe money, does Gabe have a job? He worked. No, not now. He worked at Publix for a year, but now that he's playing sports, he doesn't. What did he do with his money when he's he got? He has plenty of money in the bank. Then and yes, he was bar mitzvah. He, then, he got a lot of money for his bar mitzvah. So if he has money, because like yeah. I don't know, like every kid's different. Like when like I Zoe worked, does not have money because she travels all the time. Doesn't she spend? Gabe has plenty of money. He doesn't. He he has use of a car that he doesn't pay for. Like it's not his car, but like he has no expenses except when he goes out, like with his girlfriend. So okay, it's interesting that you brought that up because when I was in high school, I worked at Chase Bank as Ooh. a teller. Oh, you did. Yeah, I was a teller when I was a senior or a junior and senior in high school. I worked at a liquor okay. store. You did really? Yeah. What'd you do? Did you check people out, or did you? Um, I don't know what the statute of limitations is. You ha- you're supposedly you had to be 18 to check people out, but they let me do it when I was 16, 17, and I but mostly in the back room. Were you like, checking other people's IDs? It was a small town in New Pro- in New Jersey where like there was no underage kids coming in. Like it was just all adults. Although I did van delivery, I did deliveries too. We had a van, like some dude. You could order a case of beer, and I would just drive it to your house and. And drop it off and take twenty bucks. I feel like that's not a, that's like against the law now. <laughs> it, I did it all the time in high school. We had this huge brown van. It was awesome. I just spent like if I was, yeah. So we delivered. So mostly, did I you ever in, steal booze from there? No, I didn't drink until I got to college. Neither did so, I. Actually. So I was like the perfect um, employee. But did you have friends who were like, "Can you help me get booze?" We had no, not really. We had got we had. We had kids working there, like who were home for the summer for college, who would like at the end of the night would just go in the cooler and just drink like three just shotgun three or four beers in the cooler it's so funny because uh i had friends in high school that would just drive up to a 7-eleven in a truck <laughs> and somebody would walk in and grab a case of beer and run out and they would just <laughs> drive away like that's how people in cave creek arizona no, that's, their beer. that's illegal no i know but like it's like it's much easier because what's the person what's the poor clerk at the gas station gonna do right. like run after them they'd cover their plate with a piece of paper, they would go in there. The kids would get two cases. They'd run out into the back, throw them into the bed of the truck, and speed off. Like, the, like the, what's the person going to do? Leave the gas station? 
Yeah. It's like, and isn't that so much better than the super bad, like you're afraid? Because yes. like, I think what's the worst case of scenario if like a cop caught you, like you stole $30 worth of stuff. Like it's not even, it's, it's a misdemeanor. Like there's no, to me, I think it's the perfect plan. So um, yeah. it's funny, but my, my whole thing in high school with my parents was they would give me everything that I needed, like a, a usable car, um, all the money that I need. Like if I'm going to the movies, they'd give me 50 bucks. But all the money that I got from Chase working as a teller went into a checking account, um, direct deposit, and that money was used towards my college education. That's so it was, cool. like a, it was like a fair trade-off of like, you won't need anything and we'll give you money every day, but you're going to work. And I think I saved in two years like 30 grand wow good for you because i worked a lot and at Chase, life, life lessons from Mari wasserman yeah yeah and it's a good way to save for it's a good way for parents to save for college without really having to think about it i thought it was a good system yeah so maybe i'll just transfer thousands of dollars from gabe's account to mine to help pay for college on that note ari can you uh do your thing uh, that was the latest edition of Stars Matter and recruiting advice. Uh, so financial financial advice. advice. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for listening, guys. I know it's kind of dense to talking about the collectives and um, you know all the information that we spew at you, but uh, we hope you enjoy it. It seems like you guys are. And if you have any feedback, I know that we'd like to hear it. Uh, Mitch and I are accessible at our emails: mlight at theathletic.com, a wasserman at theathletic.com. Until next week, that was Stars Matter. <laughs>